Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Lisa German, and I'm the Dean of the University Libraries, and I am delighted to welcome you to the 11th Annual Pancake Poetry Reading with poet Wang Ping. We have a large audience for our first virtual event, and we're excited to be here with you. First, let's um, handle a couple of housekeeping details. Uh, we hope the internet connections are working well this afternoon. Uh, we ask that you remain muted um, throughout the program, and you'll notice two buttons at the bottom of your screen. Please use the chat button if you have a technical question and the Q&A button if you have questions for Wang Ping. You may submit your questions at any time, and we'll get to as many as possible after the interview. Before we begin, I'd like to share a perspective that's important to all of us. As you may know, the University of Minnesota Twin Cities campus is located on traditional, ancestral, and contemporary lands of indigenous people. Dakota land ceded in the treaties of 1837 and 1851. Acknowledgement of this complex and layered history is one of the ways in which we work to educate the campus and the community about the land and our relationships with it and each other. We are committed to ongoing efforts to recognize, support, and advocate for American Indian nations and peoples. This annual celebration of poetry became, began informally years ago when librarian Marcia Pancake planned a special reading each year during National Poetry Month. When she retired, we continued the tradition and we named this series in her honor. I know she's joined us this afternoon. So Marcia, thank you so much for leading the way. And thanks also to Malika Grant, Associate Librarian for English, African, and African American Studies for organizing this annual event. Ping adds her name to a long list of stellar Minnesota pancake poets, Jim Limfesty, Lewis Jenkins, Hyde Erdrich, Ed Bach, Lee, um, Joyce Sutphin, Michael Dennis Brown, Ray Gonzalez, Bao Fee, Margaret Hassey, and Jim Moore. And now here to deuce our most recent poet, please welcome Malika Grant. Good afternoon, and again, welcome to the 11th Annual Pancake Poetry Series. I'm Malika Grant, Librarian for English and American Literature at the University Libraries, and I'm so proud to follow in Marcia Pancake's footsteps in this position. We usually hold this event in April as a celebration of National Poetry Month, but this year has been very different for us all in so many ways. Though I am so glad we are still able to come together now to celebrate poetry, which offers a way to empathize and understand one another. Wang Ping's work in particular illustrates how sharing human truths through writing forges a more connected and caring world. Wang Ping is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Caden Award for the Best Book in the Humanities and the Minnesota Book Award. She is also the recipient of an NEA grant, the Bush Artist Fellowship for Poetry, the McKnight Fellowship for Nonfiction, and many other honors. She is also the founder of the Kinship of Rivers Project, an environmental art movement that builds a sense of community among people living along the rivers around the world that connect us all, from the Yangtze to the Mississippi. This work engages communities in creating and sharing art by making prayer flags as gifts to other communities. They have been created and shared around the world in almost every continent and from the mountaintops of Everest and Kilimanjaro. 
Recently, she carried thousands of these flags to the intersection of 38th and Chicago to release prayers from the world for peace, justice, and love at the memorial site of George Floyd. Today, she is here with us to share readings from her most recent book, My Name is Immigrant, and have a conversation about it with us afterwards. This timely new collection is a tribute to immigrants around the globe. It channels their voices, showing us how we are all connected from shore to shore around the world and inspires gratitude for this. Previous pancake poet, Jim Lundfesty, who I know is here today, hi Jim, calls this work a masterpiece of the forgotten. And now I am so pleased to introduce Wang Ping. Hi everyone, my name is Ping, and today I'm, I would like to read a few poems from this book. My name is Immigrant, and um, the first poem in this book actually was written during my first years in New York, and um, about my own experiences as an immigrant, and uh, then I encountered many stories um, from other immigrants, uh, some great and some pretty tragic. And then I was commissioned um, by different organizations, for example, um, Poetry Project from St. Mark's Church to read together with um, Allen Ginsberg. And he was planning to read How. So I decided uh, to write about the tragic event um, from uh, uh, Golden Venture, which just took place in Rockaway in New York. And then um, a few years later, I was commissioned to write another poem for a film um, for a British filmmaker. And uh, his name is Isaac Julian. And he was making a film on the tragic um, Malcolm Bay in uh, in London, near London, and about 32 Chinese immigrants drowned uh, picking cockles, which is a kind of uh, shells and uh, clams. So, and just gradually the, the poems about immigration just spread, you know, from myself, my own story, to other Chinese immigrant story, to um, immigrants from Mexico, from Syria, from Guatemala, and uh, from the south border. And um, so this is how, so this book actually spans at least 20 years. So I hope this will help American people to understand what immigration is about and uh, what immigrants' life is about. And I know almost um, every American was once a immigrant. And probably also include uh, Native Americans. And uh, because immigration is the history and the hallmark of civilization. And, um, and also the hallmark of life. I will start with the first poem. It's called Things We Carry on the Sea. It's, the whole book is dedicated to immigrants everywhere. Things we carry on the sea. We carry tears in our eyes. Goodbye, father. Goodbye, mother. We carry soil in small bags. May home never fade from our hearts. We carry names, stories, memories of our village, our civilization. We carry scars from proxy wars of greed. We carry carnage of mining, droughts, floods, genocides. We carry dust of our families, incinerated in mushroom clouds. We carry our islands sinking under the sea. We carry our hands, feet, bones, hearts, and best minds to start a new life. 
We carry diplomas, medicine, engineer, nurse, education, math, poetry, even if they mean nothing to the other shore. We carry railroads, plantations, laundromats, taco trucks, farms, factories, nursing homes, hospitals, schools, temples, built on our ancestors' backs. We carry old homes along the spine, new dreams in our chests. We carry yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We are orphans of the wars forced upon us. We are refugees of the sea drowning in plastic wastes. We came from the same mother in Africa. We are your children, sisters and brothers, father and mother. Our tongues carry the same weight as we chant. I, hub, libre, amor, love, ping an, salam, shalom, paz, peace, xi wang, amal, hafnan, esperanza, hope, 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 as we drift from dream to dream, sea to sea. I will read um, some sections of Cockle Pickers, um, which was commissioned for this poem, uh, the film, by Isaac Julian. Uh, it's called uh, it's a nine-screen installation, and uh, it's called 10,000 Waves. So here is the first one. And I wrote, for each the victim, I wrote a section. Cockle pickers, who will see us in this foaming sea? Who will hear us in this howling wind? Who will pull us from this tide? faster than a horse. Who will close our eyes that won't shut until my soul reaches the other shore? High road of the bitter sea, please send my bones home under the knotted dragon eye tree. So here's the second one, um, which is actually the first in the real poem, right? And uh, for this book, I spread it it's throughout the book. And uh, so the book, just as the spine, um, to hold all the other stories together. On the night of the Lantern Festival, we stream into the sea, jumbles, crams, three-forked prongs, the winged bites our ears, hands, and toes. Home, we say, home, and tears streak our rubber sleeves. On the night of riddles and light, the moon is full behind thick clouds. We cockle, cockling, in the quicksand of Morecambe Bay. And Here's a poem written a long time ago um, when China was just beginning to become the, the world factory um, to make cheap products uh, for the world, especially for America. And uh, all of the workers actually were peasants and they left their villages they mi and migrated to to the cities and work in the very bad conditions. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of them just got sick and died pretty quickly so that we could have some cheap products from China. It's called Dust Angels. Stars, diamonds, tears of hearts, sand and cut, cut and sand. Shrouded in silicon fog, we string beauty with corn-husking hands. Bracelets, necklace, rings, day and night, night and day. We bend over screeching wheels, 
making trinkets for USA. Saints, gods, Buddha, rush down the belt at a dizzying speed. A quarter cent apiece, price of our civilization, a nation's pride, a civilization eating us alive. Opal, malachite, topaz, stones from deep in earth, sold cheap at Walmart. Our lungs harden from quartz crystals. Our lives weigh less than dust. We cough and wheeze, walking half a block. We gasp for air. We say they say we fake our sickness. Have never worked in their factories. They hire lawyers to erase our names, ban our union. No more Marx or Mao. Only golden path of market economy. No money to go home. No face to see parents or children. All bridges collapsed. We loiter in hospitals, courts. We pray not to die in this strange land. Dust angels, dust angels. Who wears the stars and hearts strung with our tears? Who makes a fortune from our wretched breath? Who will see us? Of all the Buddhas and saints, carved out of our bodies, all the eyes of Mary and Jesus, painted in our blood. Here's another、um, poem from Cockle Pickers. It is really not in. It is our teaching, actually in our DNA, is is to stay.、Um, With your family, and、uh, don't wander far off when the parents are still alive. And so I use that several thousand, at least two thousand years old teaching as part of the poem. 父母在，不远游；父母在，不远游；父母在，不远游。When father and mother are around, children do not wander far from home. Here's a prose poem I wrote、um, pretty early in my writing career. Career. It's called "Old Home." At sixteen, my father ran away from his widowed mother to fight the Japanese. I will come back with a PhD. And serve my country with better English and knowledge. I pledged at the farewell party in Beijing, 1986. Home, 家 a roof under which animals live. When asked where I am from, I say Weihai, even though nobody knows where it is, even though I've never been to that place. He lost his left ear in a bayonet fight with a Japanese soldier. Two years later, American cannons split his eardrums. The back lady spotted. The back lady stopped her cart on the busy street and peed onto a subway grate. Did you jump or fly? Asked my landlady from her mahjong table. Then she laughed. And told me her husband had jumped ship ten years ago. When he opened his fifth Chinese takeout, he bought her a passport and flew her to Queens. The only thing they, he liked to talk about was his old home, Weihai, its plump sea cucumbers and sweet apples, men with broad shoulders, thick sides, and girls with long braids making steamed bread. Back home, I had no money, but I never felt poor," she said, shivering behind her fruit stand. Here, if my money goes down below four thousand dollars, I panic. She scanned the snow-covered streets of Chinatown. I guess I really don't want to be homeless here. I hired the babysitter when she mentioned her hometown was Weihai. The president visited the rice paddies in Vietnam. Where a pilot 
had been down 30 years ago to bring his bones home. My father tried to return to Weihai after his discharge from the Navy. With his rank, he could find work only in a coal mine town nearby. My mother refused to go. He went alone and got sick with TB. Mother ordered me to date the county administrator's son so he could help father come home. No, I'm not sad, the street kid shook her head. How can I miss something I've never had? On her 60th birthday, my grandma went home to die, sailing from the island to Shanghai, from Shanghai to Yantai, then two buses to Weihai. I carried her onto the big ship at the Shen Shanghai port, down to the bottom, where she would spend three days on the mattress, on the floor, with hundreds of fellow passengers. How are you going to make it, Grandma? I asked. She pulled out a pair of embroidered shoes from her parcel and placed them between my feet. My heart and liver come to Laojia soon, before it's too late. House, Fang, a door over a square, a place, a direction. He never lost his accent, never learned Mandarin or the island dialect. Weihai, a small city in Shandong province on the coast of North China Sea, a home where my grandfather and his father were born, where my grandma married, raised her children, and now lies in the yam fields, nameless, next to her husband, an old frontier to fend off Japanese pirates, a place I come from had never set foot on. It's my Laojia, old home. Back from America, my mother furnished her apartment on the island, bought a new one in the suburb of Shanghai, and is seeking a third in Beijing. A cunning rabbit needs three holes, she wrote to us, demanding our contributions. She swore before boarding the ship that they would send money home to bring more relatives over. In return, they were promised that if they died, their bodies would be sent back home for burial. I drink American milk, a few drops in tea. I eat American rice, Japanese brand. Chinese comes to me only in dreams, in black and white pictures. My mother buried her husband on the island of East China Sea, where he lived for almost 50 years after he ran away at 16 from his old home on the Yellow Sea. Room, Wu, a body unnamed and homeless until it finds a destination. We greet a stranger with, where are you from? When we meet a friend on the street, we say, where have you been? Where are you going? Jia, a roof under which animals live. Wu, a door over a square, a place, a direction. Fang, a body unnamed and homeless until it finds a destination, tangled roots, gun for wandering souls. I have another one to read. What Marwan carries across the desert. He carries a bag, tattered memory of his mama and sister. He carries dust, thousands of miles from home in Syria. He carries tears, plaster dry on his cheeks, wrinkled from desert sun. He carries pleas scratched from his sand-filled throat. He is Marwan, four years old, born to play marbles, run around all day with his siblings' playmates, born to get dirty, get into trouble, and get yelled by his loving parents. It's not his job to play hide-and-seek with soldiers armed to the teeth. It's not his job to teeter through the desert, too tired to lift his eyes, too understanding to call his papa 
to wait and hold his hand. He carries hunger, thirst, loneliness. He carries the question why he is walking in this God-forsaken desert. He carries the fear that his family will soon vanish from his downcast eyes. He carries the weight of the sentry that abandons him, his parents, his country. He is Marwan, four years old, born to beg Mama for one more good night song, born to beg Papa for one more lift into the sky. It's not his job to carry the tragedy and war in tattered plastic. It's not his job to carry the sorrow and failure of humanity. He carries the chasm of 20 steps separating him from Papa. He carries the greed of superpowers and corporations and politics. He carries the nonsensical violence of this epoch. He carries the conscience and despair of civilization. He is Marwan, four years old, born to raise his eyes to the stars, asking 10,000 questions, born to wonder and marvel at the world, its unfolding magic of love. It's not his job to, to limp through a desert in despair, not his job to slant his tiny body to support the weight of violence. We failed you, Marwan, four years old, as your mother, father, brother, sister, as a poet, professor, human rights expert, empathy maker, as a country, as a species, as democracy, and all the lofty slogans. But I swear, Marwan, four years old, to all the sand under your feet, to every teardrop on your face, I shall not let you wither in this desert. We shall not let we shall not let you perish in this void. Thank you. Hello, Ping. Can you Hi. hear me? Yes. Great. Hi. I, I Hi. hope everyone out there can hear me as well, and you. Um, I'm Cecily Marcus. I'm a curator in archives and special collections at the University of Minnesota Libraries. Um, it's my pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with Wang Ping um, for a little bit of time. I also encourage you to submit your questions through the Q&A so that uh, she has the opportunity to speak with you as well. Um, so Ping, thank you so much for that, that beautiful reading, uh, a, a glimpse of a, a summer day, it, it seems. Yes. <laughs> on, on a nice fall day um, online. Um, I just have, uh, I had so many questions in, in reading your work um, and I, more just in listening to you now. Um, but I wanted to start with um, a, a question about uh, a section in your book, My Name is Immigrant, that you titled Immigrant Can't Write Poetry. Um, why is immigrant written in the lowercase? That's, that's one question. Um, but more than that, I, I'd love to hear you talk about what it's been like for you to become a writer um, in English. Or put another way, what does it mean to be a Chinese writer who writes in English about Chinese culture and history, among many, many other things, including American culture and history? Thank you. Um, it's lovely to see you and talk to you here today. And uh, yes, um, when I when I got my first master degree um, in English literature, I was actually engaged with an MBA professor from McGill University in Canada, and and I just started writing uh, through working interpreting for Allen Ginsberg and. Uh, who was hosting the first Chinese American poetry festival. So immediately I was just thrown into the best of the poetry scene from both continents, right? On the American side, I got to work very closely for half a year with Allen Ginsberg. Then when the Chinese poets arrived, I got to 
you know, meet with Gary Snyder, John Ashbery, all these great poets in America. And on the Chinese side, I got to spend time with like Bei Dao, you know, Yang Lian and Gu Chen and uh, the, the best of the best, right? And uh, so, and so I was hoping, I, I kind of secretly started writing poetry and um, my fiance from Canada told me, well, uh, 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 like if you want to get published with your second grade English, it will be easier to go to heaven than to write poetry in English, right? And uh, so she actually convinced me to take uh, GRE and I actually got admitted into McGill University for MBA degree and on the verge of going to Canada to become a businesswoman and I just told myself on the you know, train station and said, I can't do that. I need to follow my heart, right? And uh, so, and the situation was I had only one year to stay in America and had no money and I got rid of my uh, room, rental room in Flushing, right? And all my property, including my, you know, saving grace gifts, you know, the two pieces of Ming uh, dynasty uh, porcelain, right? It's all in Canada. And if I don't go, I will lose it all. But I, but the poetry hold me on to New York and I stayed and, uh, so, so I started writing poetry seriously and uh, then I got connected with my Chinese classmate from Beijing University who actually married to the son of Helen Vandeler, uh, the Harvard poetry critic. And uh, so my classmate wanted to start writing in English and her mother-in-law said, hmm, not with your syntax, right? As an immigrant, you know, um, you can write prose, you can get away with that, but not poetry. So when I heard that, I wrote this poem. I just thought this, grammar, the only thing that decides who can write poetry. And, uh, and also, of course, my former fiance told me with my second grade English, I can't, there's no way I can write poetry or get published. So that's what prompted me. But also, it also, um, like, this my instinct, and it has been proven over and over again, that poetry really belongs to any, everyone, uh, regardless your language or education, if uh, you know, um, it's in our blood and it's in our DNA and it's the, our ultimate tool and the, the most fun way to express our inner beings, our in emotional world, and uh, and also poetry is very much like the it's the closest to how our brain is wired and how our brain functions because it's it doesn't go line like it it's not linear right language is never linear you know and it's um it it it's just very close to if you look at the sky and the constellation right so that is poetry and uh, it's close to how our thoughts and consciousness, you know, runs. So, yeah, so that's my favorite poem, actually. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this up. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, we, we all know that um, immigration has become a, a terrible flashpoint for American politics and culture uh, over the past four years and, and long before that as well. Um, it's, it's a subject that you um, probe in, in My Name is Immigrant as well as other books. Um, and My Name is Immigrant includes poems that, as you said, that you know have, are more than 20 years old. So can you talk a little bit about um, what drew you to 
compile these poems and publish My Name is Immigrant in 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, and also, to, I wanted to ask you how you think that poetry helps us understand and address our own present, um, which can be so difficult to do. Right, yeah. Well, um, the first immigrant poem, immigration poem, actually the formal one, um, was written for the uh, the 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 drowned immigrants, the Chinese immigrants um, in Rockaway in New York, and uh, lots of them died, and about twelve bodies were buried in the public cemetery, and. Uh, because their relatives were too afraid to come forward to claim the bodies because they were afraid of being deported back to China. And uh, at that time, I just started writing poetry and I was honored to be invited to read next to Allen Ginsberg. And, and I just thought I, I got to write something with weight because I knew I already was friends with Alan. And, uh, he told me he's going to read how, and I just thought, oh my God, after this how, what am I going to do, crawl, <laughs> you know? So I just thought I need to write something really just like can stand next to Alan. And uh, at that time, I also happened to meet uh, uh, Ai Weiwei, and uh, he was also working on, very concerned with those, uh, uh, immigrants who didn't die from the boat and golden venture and they were imprisoned in the immigration center in new york and pennsylvania and new jersey and so we were both like we were both were going there doing the protest and you know doing some work volunteer work for those immigrants and so i thought it would be a great opportunity to write a poem about those dead souls and uh, I begged my friend to drive me to the cemetery in New Jersey. There was no public transportation there. So my friend was a Marine and uh, for some reason we just kept, we couldn't find the place and we just just looping around. We were nearby the cemetery, but we couldn't enter, right? And then finally when we were about to enter, a thunderstorm and a hailstorm came down and we had to stop. And when everything calmed down, we got there and the cemetery was closed. So I just thought, all right, I would pay special attention, respect to you, right? And I just felt the spirits came to talk to me. So I wrote this in like a week and uh, the, actually I couldn't see after I finished the poem and because um, I was doing this poem without food, without water, without sleep, just I was in a trance to write that poem. And, uh, and I read it next to Allen Ginsberg and people just was very moved. And then uh, Adrian Rich, the, my favorite poet, she selected this poem for the best American poetry that year. And uh, then 10 years later, I, for some reason, you know, I read the poem in Pittsburgh University. And after I finished that, the, um, the British filmmaker, Isaac Julian came up to me and he said, Ping, I, you got to come to London. I want you to, to, to write this poetry for my film, Tensor, um, about the Chinese immigrants who drowned at Morecambe Bay. So I went there and then I went to China to investigate those people's lives. And uh, so just after these two major events, right, I just thought, this is it, this is it. I'm going to rest because it is very taxing to write because like my life is my body is taken over, right? My spirit, they just took me over and I became their tool for their stories, right? And, um, but it just things happen over and over and over again, then just Mexican immigrants, 
you know, South Asian immigrants and Syrian immigrants and, you know, the, now the South border. So I just kept going because they came to me and asked me to tell the stories. So this is how it happens, you know, and uh, until this book came, was born. Yeah. And I guess poetry is probably the, the most expressive way. Um, as we said, poetry is so close to how our brain, how our consciousness and sub subconsciousness, uh, the network of those, right? Um, that spiritual world. So yeah, I write a lot of stories like uh, the, 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 the prose books, right? And I, even the prose books, I still feel like because of the music, you know, and uh, you know, the, the, the emotions, I find poetry is like really, is the, is the path I just keep going, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, a, a lot of what you said is sort of leads to another question. Um, when you were writing about Cahokia Mounds, uh, the Cahokia Mounds in Life of Miracles, um, along the Yangtze and the Mississippi, uh, you wrote, nothing just vanishes. It's hidden somewhere waiting to be unburied. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's a phrase that really um, caught me. Um, and it, it also struck me that you are writing about, uh, on the one hand, the heart of America, the Mississippi River, um, and parts of the country that, however mythic they might be, um, some Americans might have only read about, and many of us uh, have never heard of, much less traveled to. Um, uh, I, I also thought that the phrase evokes uh, the voices of the dead, many of whom speak um, through your poetry and throughout uh, My Name is Immigrant. Um, so how does, how does the idea of nothing, that nothing vanishes but is hidden, waiting to be unburied, inform uh, your thinking of, of your poetry and also the Kinship of Rivers project? Right. Um, growing up, you know, um, I believed in Maoism, <laughs> right? That everyone was, you know, uh, initiated into, and, but at the same time, our underground, I, I had my own underground book club and, uh, and I read all sorts of philosophy, religion, including Chinese has a strong tradition of like ghost literature and spirit literature. And they are just like marvelous stories, right? And uh, as, a, as, a, as a young girl, I read them as fiction, right? And then as I grow, started growing, and as an adult, right, and I started writing poetry, I found I was communicating with the spirits more and more, and I just said, what is going on, right? And then I delved into uh, the quantum physics world and, uh, uh, you know, and, and many other worlds, and uh, I realized it is so true, matter never dies, right? If matter never dies, it's just like transformation of energy, right? Especially the ghosts. And I also a big uh, researcher on Japanese no theater, which is all about ghosts. And, uh, you know, I actually wrote and performed the no theater myself. And um, so the, the so-called ghost is really just unfinished business, right? And, uh, and even though their physical bodies is over, but their mental energy, their consciousness, it still lingers, especially if they have unfinished business. And uh, so a lot of like immigrants who can't go home, especially the concept of home, you know, especially for Asian people, the roots, it is so important, right? So they just keep lingering, you know, trying to connect with poets like me, you know, or people who are sensitive to that kind of energy. They just, they want us to help them, 
to finish that business, to bring them home. And I just feel that is also my mission, you know, um, to help them to go home and also help myself to go home, right? I've been away from China. Uh, Minnesota is my home. New York is my home. America is my home. I actually lived here longer than I lived in China. Um, I, but I still, my roots, like I grew up, right? The Chinese culture is just so deep in my DNA, right? And uh, so, yeah. Um, and I just feel our past is basically, <laughs> it's our ghost stories, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, in order for us to be aware who we are now, where, where we are now and where are we going in the future, tomorrow, we've got to know the past and yesterday. We've got to, to listen to the spirit, to, to the unsolved, you know, business, right? And uh, just listen and be aware. And otherwise there, was, there will be no tomorrow, you know. So you say that we we have to understand our past, and yes. and perhaps I I write that I ask this question because I'm I, I work as a librarian, but how do you do your research, and how <laughs> your uh, poetic writing is actually research? Uh, yes, um, well, um, when I came to America, my biggest dream was to get my PhD, right, and. Uh, then when I was doing my master, I walked into a classroom, which was a wrong classroom. I thought I was walking to 18th century British literature, like Pamela, you know, <laughs> Clarissa. And, and I was just, oh my God, the 18th century literature, like, you know, it's so difficult, you know, it's so stiff, the language. And, and then I saw, I walked into the room and the professor looks just like, like long hair and uh, wearing two shirts and both shirts were misbuttoned and had white paint all over himself and his shoes and he was borrowing Kleenex from a student and I just said, is that a professor, right? And then turned out it's a creative writing class. So I just sat down and wrote my first story and the professor said, you should start writing a novel. So that was just, I was hit on my, like a Zen master just say, this is your path, right? And um, yeah, so I started writing. Then soon Professor Walsh introduced me to Allen Ginsberg. So I was going on the path to poetry and the writer, but the dream of being, getting a PhD is still like so strong, right? And so I got into NYU to do comparative literature and my poetry friends, they said, oh, no, Ping, you stop being a poet. And I just said, no, 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 I will let the, those like, uh, like Derrida or Foucault, or those people like go in my ear one year and out the other year, right? But who knows what we know, what do I know, right? All the training rigorous training. NYU has really good comparative literature program at that time. And uh, it's a really rigorous training, right? When I, f I remember I first read uh, Derrida, I thought I'm paying you at the stupidest person on earth. I couldn't understand a word, you know, <laughs> what he was saying. But later, actually, he was my main theorist in uh, Aching for Beauty, footbinding in China, right? So I got really good training through PhD program. And uh, so I became a very good researcher. And nowadays the digital, you know, and uh, you can stay home and just go everywhere in deep, deep into the, you know, you can find a lot of materials, you know. And I love li library, I love librarians, you know. I. My, the Cultural Revolution began when I was second grade and everything was closed, like library seals, school closed and books were burned and banned. So I would often like 
like break the seals on the library door and sneaking and read books you know and so i just read all sorts of books right because nobody told me this is your level reading <laughs> you know what i mean so i read all sorts of things you know and so i had like very special relationship with the library because i'm basically self-taught from second grade all the way to high school you know well yeah. we, we're we're honored to have you in in our virtual thank you library. yeah <laughs> um, i think there's a question from um one of our uh uh, listeners, we have time for a few. So um, if anyone else would like to submit some, please do. Um, this question is, were you in any way inspired or influenced by Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried? Oh, yeah. Who <laughs> has litanies to the idea of carrying, in this case, in his case, what soldiers carried during the Vietnam War? Right, yes. Uh, Tim O'Brien actually was a graduate from McAllister College where I taught poetry for 21 years and uh, yes uh, I love that book and I never had a chance to meet him but I feel his presence I feel his weight his spirit there on the campus all the time and uh, yes and uh, uh, the biggest influencers I would say Allen Ginsberg uh, Gary Snyder and, uh, and and some German poets like uh, you know Kafka, right? And uh, um, and of course Chinese poets and uh, you know Li Bai, Du Fu, Li Qingzhao, and uh, a lot of native, uh, wonderful native uh, American poets, you know, who I study and taught many times, including uh, Hyde Erdrich and the Louise Erdrichs. Uh, Louise Erdrich, she is a, I love her poetry so much. You know, you should check out her poetry. You know, I, and also, you know, Sherman um, Alexey and uh, um, Hanging Loose actually published like four or five of his poetry. He is an amazing poet, you know, and fun, very fluid and very playful. You know, and another thing about poetry is, poetry is like the most playful form of literature, right? And uh, every, anything goes, you can really just play. And it's very much jumps and leaps, like quantum leaps and like the synapse of how our neuron runs, right? They don't go from A to B to C to D following the line like a good girl, it just jumps around, right? It jumps and leaps, gaps, you know? That's what I love, you know? Rebellious. Uh, yeah, well, that's also how our brain runs, right? You know, the logic or the linear is like forced upon us for convenience and for narrative, because we can't tell 10 stories at the same time, but poetry can, fortunately, you know, right? So, yeah, I never fall asleep writing poetry. I do fall asleep writing novels and stories and prose, <laughs> but never poetry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So, so during this time of quarantine, uh, I think a lot of us have found ourselves doing things we didn't do before and not doing the things okay. that used to, you know, bring us relaxation or pleasure or what have you. Um, if, if you've been reading, um, during this period, what what have you been reading, and uh, and what are you turning to, and and for what, why? Right. Well, I'm always busy, um, you know, because I taught myself so uh, since I was second grade, since I was seven years old, and so I know how to entertain myself, and uh, so I'm reading a lot of Chinese classics now. And then just I just finished the Xiuji, the Journey to the West, the Monkey King, and just delightful, just delightful. And I'm reading a lot of poetry, and uh, um, and a lot of science actually, and uh, of course medical uh, books too, and uh, a lot of history books, and uh, 
I'm reading, I just started reading um, this book called Bitten. I just finished the book uh, by Francis Dewar uh, about what we, do we know what we don't know, that book. It's a really amazing book, right? And, and I just finished the, the revolution, the evolution and the story of the earth, which I read it as if it's a giant poetry about the earth. Um, I highly recommend people who loves poetry and geology just go to that book. It's just so amazing, you know. And uh, of course, like string theory, quantum physics, you know, and uh, uh, the black hole, all these are like my childhood. Like I wanted to be a scientist since I was a child. And now I'm becoming a senior science student, I guess. Right. And of course, writing poetry every day and I learned how to make a film and I'm making a lot of poetry film and also a lot of herbs. I'm a big gardener and uh, now I'm harvesting, you know, uh, from my garden and just turning them into winter food, canning them and uh, jamming them and, you know, teaching my kids how to cook. Right. And uh, when they grew up, I was so busy teaching and writing and traveling. You know, it was my biggest regret. I didn't have much time for them. And now I have all the time for them. So I spend a lot of time with my kids. So that was really lots of fun. And uh, yeah, and then doing a lot of Zoom reading and workshop and also started translating a lot uh, from both English and both ways, English to Chinese, Chinese into English, and also doing a lot of teaching, online teaching in Chinese, right? And uh, I haven't been back to China since 2013, and I, I was scheduled to go back twice this year, but because of COVID, I couldn't go, and my mother is getting really old and sick. So I was hoping every day um, like to allow me to go back to China. And, um, but I'm, even though physically I can't go back, um, I guess linguistically and poetically, I'm going back to China almost every day. So that makes me quite happy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for, for spending uh, the afternoon with us. Um, this really was a great pleasure. Thank you so much for your great questions, and thank you, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know um, uh, libra librarians and U of M, you know, librarians, and uh, for giving me this uh, this opportunity to meet you and share my work. Well, Ping, Cecily, library team, thank you so much. Um, there's just something exquisite and evocative. Um, listening to a poet read their poem. So thank you so much for, for sharing some of your poetry with us. Um, our lives weigh less than dust. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll always remember that phrase. So thank you. I did wanna acknowledge too that the, um, today's program is sponsored by the Friends of the Libraries as part of the Friends Forum, a series of curious minds. And so for those friends um, who are here today, thank you so much, we appreciate all you do. And for those who aren't um, library friends, um, we invite you to join us. Uh, our next Friends Forum event has an intriguing title, Behind the Headlines, Reporters and News Consumers in a 24-7 Media World, and will feature a reporter from the Star Tribune, a professor from the university's Hubbard School of Journalism, and experts from the libraries. Uh, mark your calendars for Wednesday, October 21st at 7 p.m. Hopefully that won't be a debate night. Um, this will be a very timely subject as we prepare for our national election. So Ping, again, many, many thanks. Cecily, thank you. 
And thank you all of you for attending our very first um, virtual pancake poetry event. So thank you all and have a great evening. Thank you.